Galatians 5, verses 16 through 18 is where we'll be this morning. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. All right, let's pray. Dear Father, we come before you right now. We're so thankful for this time that we get to spend in your word. We thank you for this, this letter from Paul to the Galatian churches. We thank you for the things that we've gleaned from it so far. And we ask, Lord, that you would bless our time in it this morning. That it would be an honor and a, um, a glory to you. And um, it is truly our privilege, Lord, to have your words in front of us. And so, Lord, help us not to take that for granted but to learn as much as we can from it. We ask that your Spirit would guide our hearts and our minds and that your Spirit would guide my lips as we go through this, uh, this time of, of uh, study through these verses and then in the discussion that goes on afterward. We praise you, Lord, for who you are. We praise you for your Son, Jesus. And we pray this in His name. Amen. So uh, I'm sure many of you have noticed this. Most of you have probably noticed that, this, that several of Paul's letters have one thing in common that they can be split into kind of two different sections. There's often, uh, the first section will often be really heavy on doctrine and theology, and the second section will end up being very heavy on application. And um, if you look closely, you can, you can tend to see it fairly clearly. A good example of this is Ephesians. It's six chapters, and it's split right down the middle. The first three chapters teach us about big T theology, about God himself, about Christology, about uh, who Christ is, um, even from before the beginning of the world in this case, and then also our salvation, which also occurs before even the beginning of the world, teaches us about how the church actually is built up and unified in Christ. And then what we get is we get like a switch flipped when we get to uh, chapter 4, verse 1, and Paul ends up saying, therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk, okay, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So we get that switch flipped, and we go from doctrine, and he says, therefore, live in this way, right? We see that very clearly. And then the next few chapters end up emphasizing the need for unity in the church or using your diverse spiritual gifts to build up the church and to sanctify each other through a labor of love Basically, in order to be children of light and to therefore glorify God. It's also in this section that we see relationships and how they should be looked at in Christ. We see husbands and wives. We see children and parents and masters and slaves. And then it ends with the familiar put on the full armor of God section in chapter 6. And that same uh, switch flipping kind of occurs in several of other of Paul's other epistles, um, in Romans twelve verse one, for example, or Philippians two verse twelve, in uh, Colossians three verse one, or First Thessalonians four verse one, or Second Thessalonians three verse one, we see that that switch get flipped, and we've actually gotten to that point in Galatians as well. I think it kind of happened back in 5 verse 1, and I was teaching then and didn't talk about it. <laughs> but I think we can be excused for not talking about it up until then, or up until now, because 
that there's been a lot of doctrine in these last few verses, even though we've kind of gotten into that application section. Because just because it's doctrine or theology that is being talked about doesn't mean that there's some application that isn't in there and vice versa. But now what we've gotten to in our passage today is very much about walking in the Spirit, right? That's what he says. This is an application section, but it still has a lot of doctrinal import. And what I'm hoping we can do is we can understand that this is the way we're supposed to walk But then also what we can do is glean from it some of the the doctrine of sanctification and of how the Spirit works in us. We can kind of see how how God actually builds us up and changes us through these verses. So our passage today, Galatians 5, verses 16 through 18, we see this heavy emphasis on living the Christian life, but we also see some amazing doctrinal things as well. So let's jump into it. Let's reread it. Galatians 5, verses 16 through 18. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, right at the beginning, we end up seeing this little clause that Paul uses, but I say. And obviously, it's there in order to refer back to what was said before. Um, The the Greek is lego dei. It just means, I say, but. (laughs) That little word dei ends up being an adversative conjunction or a logical contrastive. Paul is contrasting what he's about to say with what he said previously. And as we saw last week, as Brian took us through verses uh, 13 through 15, he had been warning the Galatian churches about using the freedom that we have, this newfound freedom in Christ, to injure your brother, to bite and devour one another instead of loving one another, because that's the intention of our freedom is to love one another. And what we also get, therefore, as we see in this but I say conjunction, is that there is there's a link between our passage today, which can stand alone, and that's why we're looking at it alone, and all of the stuff around it as well. So look for a moment with me at some of these verses in uh, Galatians chapter 5. The first thing to notice is, like I said in verses 13 through 15, that Paul is talking about the contrast of using one's freedom for the love of neighbor as opposed to hurting one another. The second thing is in our passage, verses 16 through 18, we notice that um, there's an emphasis on the desires of the flesh being in opposition to the Spirit. The third thing to notice is in verses 19 through 21, where Paul actually states the deeds of the flesh outright. The fourth thing to notice is in verses 22 through 24, we get that wonderful fruits of the Spirit passage where Paul states the deeds of the Spirit outright. And then in verses 25 and 26, they actually kind of restate backwards what we see in 15 and 16. So as a matter of fact, let's, let's go and read 25 and 26 real quick. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Hmm, that sounds awfully familiar, doesn't it? Let us not become boastful, challenging one another and envying one another. All right, now flip back to 15. Read that. 
But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. That sounds a lot like 26, doesn't it? And 16, like I said, already sounds like 25. But I say walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. And so you can see that this whole piece of Scripture, not just our little pericope today, the whole piece of Scripture is communicating something very clear. That there's a contrast from one thing to another. That the spiritual life is to be contrasted with the life of flesh. That the life of love is to be contrasted with the life of self-gratification. And what we end up finding too is that there's a link between a life of slavery to the law and the life of flesh. That's something else that Paul points out. And that's what he's been pointing out through this entire letter. We saw it a lot in uh, chapter 4, at the end of chapter 4, when he was talking about the, the metaphor of the son of the bondwoman versus the son of the free woman. There's a big difference there between those and what he's pointing out is those who want to go back to the law, they think that they're being sons of Israel. They think they're being sons of Jacob. They think they're being sons of Abraham. And yet what they actually are is sons of Ishmael. You notice that? And that's what Paul is trying to get across in this passage too. It's just a little more subtle. We'll get into that in just a second. So this then sets the framework for the rest of our passage. It's either one or the other. There's no middle ground. You can't do things which are both fleshly and spiritual. You can't, you can't live in both of those worlds, okay? Now granted, and we're going to get into this too very much in just a second, we're still dragging around this body of death, aren't we? Romans 7, wretched man that I am who will set me free from this body of death. We keep on doing things that we don't want to do, but... We can't live in that. And that's what Paul is talking about here as we walk in the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, and we will not carry out the desires of the flesh. We're going to get into that big time in a second here. But you can't do the things which are both fleshly and spiritual without being hypocritical. And that's why the next thing which we need to note from verse 16 from Paul is that this is a command to what he says here. He says, walk by the Spirit. Okay, so we've gotten done with the but I say, helping us to see that this whole passage ends up talking about one particular thing, this contrast, and now we get this command from Paul. It's in the imperative case, in in the imperative sense. It commands do this. Do what? Walk by the Spirit. Now, in order to kind of get a, a little bit better of an understanding, because he's only using a couple of verses here in Galatians to talk about this walk by the Spirit thing, I want to unpack it a little bit. And since we know Galatians is kind of like a mini Romans in a lot of ways, let's go to Romans chapter 8. And we're going to do a lot of reading here, and we're going to glean what we can about what it means to truly walk by the Spirit. Romans chapter 8, and we're going to start in verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's wonderful, isn't it? For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. That's law little l. For what the law big L could not do, which is what Paul's talking about in Galatians, verse 3, for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Likeness of, not in sinful flesh, but in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, offering, hmm, 
Sounds an awful lot like the Mosaic Law, doesn't it? Yeah, as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Verse 4, so that the requirement of the law, big L, might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who are according to the flesh, okay, do you see that in verse 4? Walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So we've got that walk idea again, don't we? Don't, do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Verse 5, for those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. We might even say in verse 5 there, for those who walk according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who walk according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Now we say that walk because what you do is who you are. And so Paul is pointing out that this is who you are if you walk in this way. If you do the things of the Spirit, you are of the Spirit. You are walking with the Spirit. If you do the things of the flesh, you are walking with the, in the flesh, right? Okay, so let's reread verse four, 5. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. Hostile. Ooh, that's a big word there. Hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin... Yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation. Obligation. Not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if, the, if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, oh, that sounds an awful lot like walking with the Spirit, doesn't it? For all of you who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. Ooh, spirit of slavery. That's a lot like what we've read in Galatians as well, right? A spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And the Spirit Himself, you know that Spirit that lives in us, testifies with our spirit that we are children, children of God. And if children, heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. So what we see is a whole bunch of wonderful things in here that help to unpack the idea of walking with the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, right? Verse 1, condemnation is gone for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, there are two laws, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ and the law of sin and death. The Mosaic law could not bring about righteousness, because it was inhibited, held back by our flesh. That's what it says in verse 3. But also in verse 3, we see that God was not inhibited by this. Jesus took on the likeness of sinful flesh in order to condemn the law of sin in it. Jesus fulfilled the requirement of the Mosaic law in a way which we could not because we were stuck in the flesh. Verse 4, 
Then we get this very clear difference between those in the flesh and those in the spirit. For the mind of those in the flesh is set on the things of the flesh. Verse 5. The mind of those in the spirit is set on the things of the spirit. Also verse 5. The mind set on the flesh is death. Verse 6. But also in verse 6 we see that the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. The mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, verse 7. The mind set on the flesh is unable to do anything but be hostile toward God, also verse 7. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God, verse 8. Those who do not have the Spirit do not belong to God, verse 9. And this is what it means to be in the Spirit. The body, along with those sins which it desires, is dead in its sin, verse 10. But the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. That is the righteousness of Christ, right? Also verse 10. And because the Spirit is alive in us, when our mortal bodies die, we will be raised back up. That's a promise. Isn't that wonderful? Verse 11. With that in mind then, we have an obligation to not live according to the flesh, but we do have an obligation to live according to the Spirit. Verse 12. This obligation means that we put to death the deeds of the body, verse 13. And this will result in us being sons of God and having the Spirit of God testify with our spirit that we are sons of God, that we have been adopted. So in other words, flip back over to Romans now. In other words, when we get to Romans 5 and we start looking at, or excuse me, Galatians 5, and we start looking at the wonderful thing here, this command, it actually is a wonderful thing. Because the command has with it also, not just that it's a wonderful thing to do what God says, to do the commands of God, to follow the leading of the Spirit, and to have that pour out of our hearts and our minds and our, our thoughts and, and the things that we do in order to build up those around us, but it also testifies with our spirit that we are saved. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Isn't, don't we need that reassurance? Because I don't know about you, I've still got this body of death that I'm carting around. Wretched man that I am. And so we need that reassurance. When we slip into sin, and our conscience testifies to us that we've done something wrong, we need that reassurance. And so all of a sudden when we see the, this, this wonderful command, walk by the Spirit from Paul, we see also in it a whole lot more when we've actually unpacked it using Romans. Romans 8. Because we end up seeing in it that there is this hostility, as he put it in Romans 8, hostility that is going on between the flesh and the Spirit. Between the desires of our flesh, and God Himself. And that's actually what we see there at the end of, of verse 16. He says, walk by the Spirit. Why? So that you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. And the flesh is that which, as we see in Romans 8, is hostile toward God and leads us only to death. And then when we, when we move on to verse 17, we get even more clarity. He says at the beginning of verse 17, for the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit. The flesh sets its desire against the Spirit. Now this word desire here, in Greek it's epithemia, um, it's important. It means to lust or to crave or to passionately yearn. 
or to have an appetite for something. But there's a, there was another word that was associated with it. That was that it can mean also to sigh for something. To sigh for something. Isn't that interesting? It's, it's like, it's one of those sighs where it's a desire. It illustrates the desire. <sighs> Man, I'd really love to have that Aston Martin. <laughs> something along those lines. Or what immediately came to my mind is, is these, uh, this nostalgia that we tend to get around this time of year, right? <laughs> we sigh for the good old times when we were around the fam- uh, with the family around the Christmas tree or when we had the fireplace roaring as we conversed or played our games. Or um, it could be something that we never actually experienced but was built by the advertisers, you know? <laughs> we all have this uh, nostalgia for something that we've never seen where, you know, the entire family comes by horse-drawn sledge, you know, over the, over the um, snow-covered hills, and the sun's just setting, and the cottage where we're all meeting, it's kind of glowing, you know, candlelight, firelight, through those, those uh, wonderful um, paned windows, and you see, like, uh, smoke coming up from the chimney, Ah, oh, it's so pretty. And then all of a sudden, as you pull up in the, in the horse-drawn sledge, the door opens, and Uncle, Uncle Rick sticks his head out and goes, welcomes you. And you hear through that open window, all of a sudden, silent night being sung. Yeah, yeah, we've all had that nostalgia for something that we have never even seen, right? Probably built in us by advertisers, like I said. It's clever marketing. But it's also something that our hearts actually are desiring. And while it's not bad to desire to be with family and friends and to have this time where we're singing carols and about the incarnation of Christ, what we often do is we end up turning our nostalgia or our reminiscence into an idol itself, don't we? If we're honest about it, sometimes we desire something which could never be We desire something which was or which we wish would have been or could never be. And we end up sinning by reminiscence. We desire so much the things which were that we don't or can't appreciate the things which are. And the things which are are the things which God has actually decreed are and should be and will be. And so what we really do by pining for this, by sighing for something else, is we end up arguing with God about what should be. That's a scary thought, isn't it? But that's how our flesh, the desires of our flesh, actually work. First of all, they get us to forget about the good things that are. We lack contentment. And then we start looking around for ways to make it better and how we wish it were better or how, how it could have been better if, if things had just gone the way that they should have gone. And so we end up sinning by the idol of reminiscence or nostalgia. I don't, I don't know about you, but that kind of gets to me because, of course, there have been things in my life where I haven't really thought that they should have gone that way. And then I end up sinning against God in a way I never thought of. Now, granted, this isn't what Paul's talking about specifically here. Paul's talking about generalities. Walk by the Spirit so you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. But what we see in there is a general principle that ends up that we can apply specifically. What do you yearn for? 
What do you sigh for? What is it that you have a reminiscence for or a nostalgia for that ends up taking the place of what is and the contentment that you should have? This generality that we see, this desire or lust or craving or yearning or sighing, this desire of the flesh is set against the Spirit. That's what we see in verse 17. It's setting itself against the Spirit. And by doing that, Paul then explains the conflict which is going on within the Christian, which we saw in Romans 8 as well. Which comes up in the next clause of the verse 2. He says, verse 17, For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. So the flesh pits itself against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. Why? Well, the answer is in the next clause. For these are in opposition to one another. The Greek word here is interesting too. Um, Antikomea. It is a simple, a single word which actually is split into the four translated English words are in opposition to. It's one single Greek word. And upon first glance, the meaning seems to lessen the antagonism between them um, going on here. It means simply that the, the Greek word here means simply that one thing may be compared with another um, or that there's a correspondence between the two things which are being compared. There's a, a line which can be drawn. But in reality, the correspondence is actually between things which are inherently opposed to one another. So it's not a friendly opposition. It's not a friendly correspondence. It's not a friendly comparison. No, they are in opposition with one another to the point where you, you can only compare them by contrasting them. Does that make sense? So here we are. We've got this word anti-chimea and it actually shows that they are in antithesis to one another and that's the idea that we get elsewhere in the bible too as we read in romans 8 7 and 8 the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward god okay there's that that contrast and it's a contrast uh contrast which necessarily means that they're in antagonism that they are antagonizing one another. They are not, the correspondence is only through hostility or opposition, as Paul says. The mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Or, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, starting in verse 17, walk no longer just as the Gentiles walk. Ooh, there's that walk part there. In the futility of their mind being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, and they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. So this is actually, according to Paul in Philippians four seventeen through 19, it's actually a mind and a heart issue there as we walk according to the Spirit so we will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Or in Colossians 1.21, Paul says, Although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. So, in, order, in other words, to engage in the evil deeds, the desires of the flesh, is to reveal your alienation and hostility toward God. Or as James provocatively says in James 4, verse 4, You adulteresses, 
Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So friend of the world equals enemy of God, right? Or take the more sweet approach of John in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. He says, Do not love the, the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So the real point of this clause that we've got in Galatians 5.17, and in fact our whole passage today, is that there is no middle ground. Just as we, were, we said at the outset, as soon as you stray from God in the minutest way, you are declaring your hostility to, toward Him. And that actually brings us to the whole um, the whole meaning of, of Galatians as he's trying to fight against the Judaizers who are attempting to get them to go back to the slavery of the law or to add something to Christ. And what they're actually doing is undermining and destroying the gospel. Because as soon as you add something to Christ, you nullify him. Unless you go back to verse 16 and you understand and exercise the command that Paul gives. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. And that's why we get the so that you may not do the things that you please clause. Why? Because we want to go back and walk in the Spirit and not carry out the desires of the flesh, but we seem to backslide into it occasionally, don't we? And honestly, it's fairly simple. This clause, the so that you may not do the things that you please at the end of verse 17. This is exactly what Jesus was talking about when he, ta- when he said, um, or actually this is, this is first of all what Paul talks about there in Romans 7 with his wretched man. You know, I've talked about that. I'm dragging around this body of death. It's also what Luther described when he said that we are simul justus et peccator. We are both justified and a sinner at the same time. Our flesh rages against the Spirit within us and draws us into sin while the law of God in our minds convicts us of the evil of these things. And therefore we know that, first of all, or one, our flesh acts contrary to our desires. B, our flesh wages war on our souls. And actually, I did it wrong. It's A, 2, and D, right? (laughs) If you've been watching your Christmas movies. A, our flesh acts contrary to our desires. Two, our flesh wages war on our souls. And D, our flesh seeks to enslave us, re-enslave us to the law of sin. But what it also does, and this is a good thing, our conviction of the wrong things that we do is a firm and glorious declaration that we are saved. Because if that conviction occurs, then we know that the Spirit of God lives in us. If you do not have the Spirit, then the question is moot. You're going to do the desires of the flesh, and you're not going to think twice about it. But if you do have the Spirit, and you therefore find yourself doing something which you do not want to do, something which you know to be wrong, then you have momentarily carried out the desire of the flesh and also demonstrated that you are capable of walking by the Spirit which means that you are simul justus et peccator. You are simultaneously justified in a sinner. And this is where we get to verse 18. And this, at first glance, it seems like this verse 
is a little out of place. But when we think about the overall thrust of the entire book, we see that it does actually bind itself to our overarching um, subject of Galatians. If you are led by the Spirit, verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So Paul brings us back to the law. This time in another vein or from a new direction with maybe looking at it from a different facet, he repeats what he... Uh, what he did with the metaphor of the son of the free woman versus the son of the bondwoman at the end of Galatians 4 by putting the Judaizers in exactly the place they would be really angry to be. Back with the metaphor of the son of the free woman versus the son of the bondwoman, he calls them sons of Ishmael. Just as I pointed out, they wouldn't like that. He calls them sons of Ishmael and foreign to the people of God. And in this verse, he does something similar by essentially saying that if you are under the law, if you submit yourself to the law and its requirements, then you are against the Spirit of God. Yikes. And this is exactly the gist of what Christ said of the Pharisees in the Gospels when he told them that they tithe mint and dill and cumin and neglect the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and compassion, or and justice and mercy and faithfulness. That's in Matthew 23. We know that that's true, huh? Was it a bad thing for them to tie their mint and dill and cumin? No. And as a matter of fact, that should probably make us feel kind of bad about the way that maybe we do things. If they are able to be faithful in little things man but let's be faithful in the big things that's what jesus is saying justice and mercy and faithfulness he says it similarly earlier in in uh, matthew chapter 9 verse 13 when he was harangued for eating with tax collectors and sinners he said but go and learn what this means i desire compassion not sacrifice for i did not come to call the righteous but sinners yeah, so it's better to have compassion. It's better to be to be to show justice and mercy and faithfulness than to make a sacrifice of time, of mint and dill and cumin, the little things. And it's a good thing that he did actually come to call sinners rather than the righteous, uh, because we are all sinners. We cannot keep the law. We've pointed that out a hundred times through Galatians, right? We cannot keep the law. We cannot even control our own bodies, the desires of this flesh. And so we need the wake-up call from Paul here in Galatians 5, verses 16 through 18, just as much as the Galatian Christians of the first century did. Walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. We have a conflict going on in our hearts and in our minds. And really, we need to acknowledge it and then fight. Fight. This is a conflict. This is a war going on inside of you. The desires of the flesh as we're dragging around this body of death. And so we need to walk by the Spirit so that we do not carry out the desires of the flesh. Or as Paul says as we go on in Galatians, what we need to do are those things which are good and decent and proper and in order, the things which are loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and kind and good 
and faithful and gentle and self-controlled. And that's our task. Every day until Christ returns or we are called home. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this time and your word. We thank you for your spirit in our hearts by which we do in our mind and in our heart desire to do what is right and good in your sight. But Lord, we're still dragging around this body of death and we ask that we would be free from it and that we would fight it. And then instead, your glory and your goodness will come through in our lives more and more each day and that our desire would be to walk by the Spirit more and more and more. Lord, change us from the inside out. Sanctify us every day. Help us to help each other in doing that. To walk according to your Spirit. We ask you, Lord, to bless our time in discussion in just a moment. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.